Today with my friend and husband, our daf for the day, Masachet Yuma, daf Pei Zion, page eighty-seven. Um, we're just about done with Masachet Yuma. We've got basically a half of a an a half of a daf. We have one amud left to go. Um, our our Masachet Sukkah, we're going to begin on Friday. We. We hope you'll join us for SEO on Masachet Yuma. Even if you did not learn all of the Gatim of Masachet Yuma, and certainly if you did, come join us on Sunday, July 11th. It will be at, scheduled for 5 p.m. Israel time, 10 a.m. Eastern Seabird time. Uh, the rest of the time zones fall into place as they always do. The Siyum, this this Masachet is dedicated in memory of Shani Aronowski Wiener, Shoshana Bat, Mordechai Nachman, Vimiriam. It is dedicated by Deborah and Jay Solomon and family. Shani was in Ohevet Torah. She loved to learn. She would have enjoyed talking Talmud. It's so nice to hear. She would have enjoyed talking Talmud as much as we do, meaning as much as this family does. So let's go and learn. We are now going to embark on this daf Zion, the last real, the last full daf of the day uh, of the Masachet. Um, we're going to frame this daf by saying basically it has two distinct themes topics. One is that of Machila, forgiveness. Um, and that should not surprise anybody. It has come up now and again in the previous dapim that are talking about tshuva, repentance, and atonement. And then it shifts into talking about prayer, davening. So, which, um, again, the way we experience Yom Kippur nowadays, there's an awful lot of prayer. So I think that are, I hope, particularly meaningful when we think about what we're talking about with Yom Kippur in our own personal experience and not just um, the more... I want to say it's more distant, but it's certainly further removed from our daily life, The what was going on in the temple. So we rec- we recreate that in the tefillah on Yom Kippur, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same experience by a long time. <coughs> okay, excuse me. So on the, towards the bottom, really towards the bottom of Amud Aleph, we have a story. The Mechila section is, is pretty narrative. So Revirmia insulted Rabbi Abba. And then, of course, what happens is that the way we know this is because Rabbi Abba had a complaint against Revirmia. So Rabbi Yirmia went and he sat on the at the threshold at the entrance of Rabbi Abba's house, you know, with the intent to beg for forgiveness. What happens? Maya Mata Zerzife de Maya Aresha. So there's a maid in the home of Rabbi Abba, and she pours out the dirty water from cleaning the house, from doing the floors, I guess. And this water lands on Revirmia's head. Uh, you can only imagine. Amar Asauni Kashpa Kara Anafshe Mashpot Yerimavion. So Rabbi Yirmiya says about himself, he says, they've turned me into a pile of garbage. You know, they're pouring their door, dirty water into me as as if I am the the right place for that dirty water to go. So he quotes the the verse in Tehillim, which I feel, and from Psalms that I feel like people know, um, namely that God lifts up a person from the ash heap. It's in Halil. Shema Rabbi Abba v'nafik so Rabbi Abba heard what happened. He goes out to greet. Unintentional, presumably, on the part of the of the maid, of the part of the servant in the home. So Rabbi Abba says to him, says to Rabbi Yirmiya, Amarle, 
Dichtiv lech hitrapez rehavat reyecha. So Rabbi Abba says to Rabbi Yirmiya, now I use you for this insult, meaning they're trading in unintentional. Namely, there's a verse in Proverbs and Mishle, go humble yourself, go hitra pace, and peace between the two of them. <clears throat> so that's case number one, meaning, look, um, Rabbi Abba is trying, um, which Rabbi Yirmiya is trying to make apology to Rabbi Abba. Next, so when Rabbi Zaira had a complaint against the person who had insulted him, it's interesting to me how much acknowledgement there is of people being offended. So Rabbi Zaira has a complaint, somebody offended him, somebody insulted him, he would pace back and forth in front of that person who had inf- insulted him. He would present himself, Rabbi Zaira would present himself as if to say, here I am, right? You, the person who's offended me, you can now come and appease me, right? Which is, I, I think it's a, a psychological, you know, uh, strategy to say, I'm here available for you to ask, ask for forgiveness. And with that, we can close this, this issue. It's not suggesting that the person would have come out of their own accord. Rabbi Zaira made himself available, right? Maybe that's the whole point. Um, but but it's a different kind of approach. Um, it's instead of picking a fight and saying, you owe me an apology. He says, you know, he just presents himself in the hopes or perhaps assumption that the guy would really come. Next, Rav, because again, these are each different narratives of, of complaints or insults. Rav So Rav had a complaint against a butcher. The butcher insulted Rav. <clears throat> the butcher never came to Rav to apologize. So then, of course, it's Erev Yom Kippur. And Rav says, I'm going to go. I will go and appeal. And hopefully that will, you know, smooth things over is the point. So along the way, he meets Rav Huna, who says to him, Where is my master? This is a matter of hierarchy between Rav and Rav Huna. Where is he going? I'm going to appease so-and-so. So-and-so meaning the butcher. So, so Rav Huna calls Rav, says to Rav, Abba, because this is, Rav's name was really Abba. He says, Abba is going to kill a person, meaning that this is not going to come to a good end. Azal v'kam ilave. So what happens? Rav went and stood by him. He finds the butcher. The butcher, of course, he's doing. He's doing butchering. He's sitting and splitting the head of the animal. The butcher looks up. He looks up and sees him. He sees Rav. He says to him, Am I late? Are you Abba? Zil lately milt the Bahadah. Go away, I have nothing to say to you. So he's splitting the, the head of this animal, and one of the bones kind of flies out from the axe, or from the chopping implement, I guess. It's not really an axe. The, and it strikes him, the butcher, in the throat. 
and kills him. So Rav didn't do anything active here to kill him, but Rav Huna's prediction of this is not going to come to a good end, that certainly did get fulfilled. And then the Gemara says, uh, so, so that's yet another case. Now, it's interesting to me that on here, we've seen different levels of efforts to smooth things over, meaning this butcher couldn't care less. That's the worst, I would say. The people that Rebbe Zera wanted to apologize to him, let's assume that they did so, but they didn't do so without him presenting himself before them to remind them of what they needed to do. And then the first case between Rebbe Yirmi and Rebbe Abba, and perhaps it's not surprising that they're both, you know, members of Chazal, as I like to call them, you know, that they really both seem to kind of, the insult is perpetuated and then they, then they quote Sukim, no less, to acknowledge that they need to get out of this. Okay, and then we have another story, and with this, I think, I will end with the narratives on the forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry, I've, I've skipped the line. Rav have a pasik sidra kamei rabbi ayel hadar So Rav was reading the Torah portion, meaning the sidra, it says the sidra, the, the Torah reading. He, Rav was reading before Rabbi Huda Nasi. Rabbi Huda Nasi, of course, is the, you know, the elder statesman here. Ata Rabbi So Rabbi Chia comes. Now Rabbi Chia is Rav's uncle and also his teacher. So he comes in. Hadar Laresha. So Rav goes back to the beginning to read it, you know, so that Rabbi Chia presumably could hear all of it. Ayel Bar Kapara. So then Bar Kapara comes in. Hadar Laresha. So then Rav goes back to the beginning, again, to read the beginning of the of the Sedra, of the Torah portion, out of respect for Bar Kapara. Ata Rabbi Shimon, Berebi. Hadar Laresha. So then Rabbi Shimon, who's the son of Rabbi Yudha Nasi, comes in. Again, Rav goes back to the beginning. I think if we did this nowadays, we'd have the rest of the congregation throwing things. Ati Rabbi Chanina, Barchama, Amar, Kule, Haina, Hadar, Venezil. So then Rabbi Chanina, Barchama comes in. Rav says to himself, you know, should I go back and read it yet again? Lo Hadar. He does not go back. Ifkid Rabbi Chanina. But of course, then Rabbi Chanina is offended <coughs> because it implies that he's less important than all the other people. How he's supposed to know that Rav already did this for the, all the other people is not clear to me. Azal Rav male yuma de kipura lo So then he says that Rav went to Rabbi Chanina on Erevim Kippur. Every year he went to try to make nice, to ask him for forgiveness. For 13 years he tried it. And and Rabbi Hanina just was wouldn't have it. He he was just never willing to to grant that forgiveness. So again, I feel like they, we have here different levels of the degree to which one is committed to smoothing things over, to getting out of this level of insult and make sure that people and then and it's you know it, it the it's not it's not a strict hierarchy here. It's interesting to see who. And yet, everybody acknowledges, everybody would acknowledge that this day of Yom Kippur presents this reminder of an opportunity to go and and lefayes to to appease the other person for the sake of you know acquiring forgiveness to then be able to the point is of course to then be able to turn to God and say okay I've made peace with everybody on amongst the human plane now let me you know turn to you for atonement of the day of, and including the day of Yom Kippur. So, uh, you know, I, I look at this as we had a daf before that sort of gave us all the 
uh, highfalutin or let's say philosophical underpinnings of tshuva. And then I think this is the practical one. Like, I think it shows us like, yes, we should go around and, you know, ask our fellow man for teshuva. But in practicality, it's hard. Sometimes people don't want to give it. Sometimes when we do give it, maybe we don't give it in a nice way. Like that story, of you know, the person getting dirty water thrown in them with Ravi, you know, with Ravi Yermi and Ravi Abba. And then the way the person who was originally insulted had to apologize to the person asking for forgiveness. Um, this story with Rav. So I, I think I appreciate that the Gemara sort of wants to acknowledge through these stories that real forgiveness when it comes to Ben Adam is messy and complex. And almost in a way, the avoda, even though it's physically messy with all the shrita and the sprinkling the blood, it's easier. There's a straight pathway to get forgiveness from God. But that's not the case when it comes to our fellow man. I think that's true. I should note, I did not read the end of the story about Rav and Rabbi Hanina. I encourage you all to go do so. The question is raised, you know, why does he have to do this for 13 years in a row? Don't we only need to, aren't we only required to ask forgiveness for three years? And also Rabbi Hanina. How is it that he didn't accept it? Like the, it's not, it's not the standard, right? There's a certain standard of make sure that you've asked for forgiveness for three times. And if not, then you've done your job. You've done what you were supposed to do. So this Gemara gets interesting, especially Rabbi Hanina's opinion. Um, so I'm going to, but I'm going to leave it there as a teaser. You can go see it inside. So um, now the rest of the DAP gets to sort of more practical pieces of Yom Kippur. And it really has to do with its feel apart. And again, I think these are things that we're familiar with, right? It starts with the discussion of what's the content of the actual vidui, when do we say the vidui, and then gets into a little bit of discussion about ni'ila. So for the vidui piece, Tanu Rabbanah, Mitzvah vidui, Erev Yom Kippurim Im so this is actually, a, I think, a pretty famous concept for many people, right? That the mitzvah vidui we actually do on Arab Yom Kippur before it's actually dark and Yom Kippur itself starts, right? And we know that we actually, uh, you know, and then it goes on to say, aval amru chachamim, but the chachamim say, chodem That actually a person should say the vidui, and this is what we do, right? We say mincha with the vidui before we get to that last final meal. So here it's because maybe he will become confused at his last meal. Now, what's interesting is if you read notes like art scroll sitters and stuff, the explanation they always give is that the person you might choke um, at that last meal and die, God forbid, and you didn't have an opportunity to say vidui here, it's, it's kind of less of a super dark way of thinking. It's more just like, all right, let's, what if you get, you know, they used to drink wine, a little confused. You ate a little too much, you got confused, and you just didn't get around to it. And even if you did this vidui before, you should do another one after you ate and drink. And so then that gets to sort of the more famous one, right? Which is that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, something will, uh, uh, maybe he will have committed a sin while he ate, okay? Again, not that he chokes, but again, that he would have committed a sin, so you need to do another vidui in case you did something bad during the meal. Right? And then, even though we know he's going to do a vidui during the evening prayer, you do another one at shacharit. Uh, you know, then, sorry, shacharit, even though you're going to say one in Musaf, still do a vidui in Musaf, but Musaf, 
right? Even though you say vidur in musaf, say one in mincha, but mincha yibadab in ilah, right? And even if you say one mincha, you say one ilah. So you get this idea that almost like we want to make sure that throughout the day you are in a constant state, even starting from before Yom Kippur, that you have done vidoy and you are in the state of being post-vidoy. And so therefore we say this vidoy, really if you count out, it's seven times before the meal, after the meal, sorry, six times before the meal, after the meal, arvit, shacharit, musaf, mincha, no, I am right, seven, and ni'ilah. So, you know, we say it uh, uh, very, very often. So it's really seven times that we're saying it. And then the Gemara wants to go into, what do you say? Right. The Yachid says it by himself after the Mus, after the Shmona Esrei part, which we know that that's what we do. And the Shliach Sibor says it in the middle. And then Mayamar now, the next, you know, section should all be things that are familiar, right? Amarav, Atayodeya, Rezei Olam. So you should recognize that from our Yom Kibber Davening, Mar Mima Makim Halev, Belevi Amar, Mutaratecha, Katub Leimor, Rabbi Yochanan, Meribon Olam. So I think the one that we all know is Rav's, Atayodeya, Rezei Olam. Then Rabbi Yehuda goes on and says, right? Ki avnotenu rabu milamot v'chatatenam tu misaper. Rav Hamnun Omer alokai atchelo natsarte ani kadai achshavche natsarte kilo no natsarte afar niva chayai kalva chamer b'mitatai hareni lefenach kechleim malei busha chima yihiratom fenach shelo echatel mashachatati merok berachamacha abel ayde yisurin. Right, so that we do say. So some of these are things we say. Some of them we don't. So this confession of Rav is what was you of Rava was used all year round, but this Rav Hamnuna Zuta one, this was one that we used just on Yom Kippur, uh, just on Yom Kippur um, itself. And then again, it continues on to sort of go through a little bit more of the um, uh, of the. It gives a story with Shmuel. Uh, to talk about some of the more specific wording there. So, you know, just interesting, again, to always see where the Gemara is sort of piecing some of these things together and then actually seeing how do we actually do it now. And then finally, to conclude, right, then the Gemara is going to get into Ni'ilah. And it, it, in typical Gemara fashion, it does this in a roundabout way. He quotes a Mishnah here that's actually a Mishnah in Ta'anit. Tanan hatam b'shoshap rakim nosin bayom. So there were four times during the year where Kohanim would, you know, duchen basically, um, and they would do it four times in a day, right? And so the idea is here also, and I, this is why I wanted to read this part, is that there actually was Nila not just on Yom Kippur, but in other times of the year. And when were these? Right? So there would be a Nila on, um, on Atanas. The mama dot. Remember, the mama dot were uh, during the um, uh, when the Kohanim had those mishmars, right? They would do these weekly cycles of actually working in the Beit Hamikdash, and they would be paired up with a group of Yisraelim. So in that town, when it was your mamad, you would read from Bereshit every single day, um, and sort of you were like, so it sort of attached you to the avoda that was going on in the Beit Hamikdash. So during those mamadot, right, when the the Israelim would basically come to sort of watch what was the mishmar that was going on, and they would read the creation. Again, we'll get into all this in Masachatan in a little bit. 
They also would say a Ne'ilah and also on Yom Kippur. So, you know, again, just remember that Ne'ilah was not only done on Yom Kippur. There was this Ne'ilah that was done other times of the year. Again, but we don't do it anymore because it's just not the way that we fast anymore. And we don't have Mama Do now. And my Ne'ilah Sharim, and then the Gemara wants to say, so what is this Ne'ilah prayer, which literally means the closing of the gates? Rev Amar Tzluta Yitrita, right? So Rev says it's an extra Amida, right? Shmon Esrei, Shmuel Amar Ma'anu Mechayenu, right? So he says it's not a full prayer, but it's sort of a confession that we add where we say, what are we, what are our lives, right? And then now they have an objection to that from a Brisa Metive or Yom Kippurimit Pralal Sheva Umidvata, right? That at night on Yom Kippur, we say seven blessings in the Amida. Same the same number of brachot in the amida for shachrit. Same number of seven for the amida of musaf. Same number for mincha. And same number seven for nila. So again, this seems to agree with Rav. And then the Gemara goes on to basically explain that this was maybe actually a machlokas of the Tanaim. But I just wanted to, you know, sort of read this section because I think it gives some good context to the development of Vidui and also to the development of Nila. And, you know, to reemphasize the point that Nila was not just said on Yom Kippur. There were other times where sort of an additional Shemona Esrei was added to the daily tefillah. I just want to note that I think for a lot of people, there's some people for whom by Nila, they're like, you know, washed up right like it's too hard of a day and Nila is no longer they're no longer there for it or no longer up for it and then there are people for whom Nila is the essence of Yom Kippur and whatever they needed as a second wind or a fifth wind or whatever right it kicks in for that tefillah and you know how many people I know the Aron is open right for in many shuls anyway the Aron is open for all of Nila and people do the standing right even if you can't see the Aron there are people who will stand for the whole of Nila because like they are there intent and serious because I understand the gates of Shemayim are closed, the gates of heaven are closing and all like that. But there's also something, I don't know, very profound about establishing a time at which, you know, that is the deadline. And there's so many things for which their deadlines. Shabbos begins at a certain time, everything in Judaism Lots of things on the calendar have deadlines, but there's something about Ni'ilah, I think, that somehow sparks um, motivation in people in a profound way. And and there are people I know for whom Ni'ilah is the crux of the day. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Download Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and... Thank you.